Yeah, well, what are the goals, right? As adulting, are the goals just to like fill the bank account, live as long as you can, maybe extend your life for a few years and get people to like you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> or is there some deeper meaning mm. that you're on this planet for and are you fulfilling mm. that in, in an intentional way? Hey, welcome back to the Being All of Us podcast. Uh, it's been a minute, I know. Life is always interesting, figuring some stuff out. Never a dull moment. Great to be back, though, here with you. Today, we have a really fun episode. It's with meditation teacher and author David Gandelman. I was lucky enough to go to a retreat with David in August of 2021. Uh, that's how I connected with him, and I'm very grateful that he agreed to come on and talk with me about just some fun stuff. So enjoy the episode. I hope that you get some insights out of it and a little bit of inspiration. So here, without further ado, is my conversation with David Gandelman. Welcome everyone to the Being All of Us podcast. Today, I am joined by a special guest, David Gandelman. David, welcome. Thank you for being here. Hey, Brian. So nice to see you again, buddy. So why don't you tell us a bit about you? Tell us your story, David. Sure. Well, first of all, it was an awesome retreat and it was so <laughs> fun. It was really fun meeting you in Montana. Mm. Uh, so when, when you emailed and wanted to chat, I was like, of course, I'll chat with Brian, David, George. You remember all three. Yes. <laughs> best first, three first names ever. Um, <laughs> and we have that we have that uh, Barcelona connection you know I used mm. to live there as well and have my heart's in that city mm. um, yeah yes yeah, so uh, I do I teach spirituality um, I, I wrote a book that's coming out soon so my publishers keep telling me I have to change my profile everywhere to author which mm. uh, you know it's a little uncomfortable at first <laughs> Which part uh, of it is uncomfortable? Uh, I guess I've never just, I've never seen myself as an author before, right? It's almost like a, a new skin to start to settle into, uh, especially because writing does not come easily to me. Um, mm. I don't know if writing comes easily to most people, but writing this book, it took a while and it was a, it was a wide learning curve and I needed to get a lot of help and mm. um, it's quite the process. So now I, uh, now I am an author, I suppose. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now anyway, you can autograph uh, your books in bookstores. I, and... I barely know how to read. So, <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. I have pretty horrible handwriting, so I'm not excited to assign any books. You can get a stamp way. made, a rubber stamp. They just make a stamp in your autograph. <laughs> just give people a photo or something. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I teach spirituality, uh, at this book coming out, the seven energies of the soul and, um, have a meditation app called meditation school. I think you found me on insight timer, which is yes. where a lot of my students find me. It is the most popular meditation app out there. So mm. I'm not too surprised. I think it's a really, really cool platform. I love it. I tell everyone to download it. Mm. If they haven't, if they haven't yet. And, um, yeah, I try I teach some retreats. I, I, um, I podcast, I mm. do a little bit of one-on-one -on -one counseling and coaching I have a couple clients left 
And um, I like to be entrepreneurial. So I would, I think the the most comfortable way I describe myself would be a spiritual teacher and an entrepreneur. So we're, we're, I'm working on another business that hasn't uh, come out yet, but we're developing a relationship and dating company that I'm excited about. Um, so all, all the things, Brian, all the things. And in terms of my story, I, you know, I started meditating at 16 and I would say I had what you might call a spiritual awakening, kind of like an aha light bulb moment. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, that led me to getting a degree in philosophy and living in the Himalayas, studying the Eastern traditions, and then eventually living in Hawaii, studying kind of the more mystical, energetic, intuitive side of things. I ran a school for intuitive readers and healers there. I spent uh, seven years on the big island of Hawaii. Oh. Mm. Yeah, got a little island fever there after, mm. after that amount of time and decided it was the time to come back into society in some sense. I lived in a pr- pretty rural place out there. And uh, moved to New York for a year uh, on my bro- onto my brother's farm. And that's where I started kind of developing my online courses and teachings and recording and eventually podcasting. Um, moved out to California, started teaching there. And now I live in the mountains of Colorado <laughs> in a cave with a nice wooden <laughs> cave has a wooden background. If you're watching this on video, I have a very nice set that I'm very proud of because uh, these amazing guys from Sounds True Publishing, this guy Drummond, incredible dude, he came by with some of his team and he built me a beautiful podcast set. So I just put it behind me. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, it's my little, it's my little nook where I teach from and write and create. And so uh, I, tr- I tried to create it very in- intentionally with the energy that I wanted to bring into the work I'm doing. So Mm. a very, very, uh, international journey. I actually, I kind of want to go back and ask you about the beginning of it. You said you started meditating when you were 16. What was it that got you into meditation back when you were 16? I I believe you're from Jersey. Yeah, I grew up, I grew up in the very beautiful state of New Jersey (laughs) and um, it's got a bad rap, but it's got some nice spots. Um, There's some, there's some good people from Jersey, you know, a few of them. (laughs) I appreciate their directness, especially. Mm. Uh, Yeah. My brother came home from college. He pulled me into a bookstore and was like, you never read. And I was (laughs) like, this is correct. And so, uh, I just picked up literally the first book I saw is like a pile of books in Barnes and Nobles. And uh, it was either Barnes and Nobles or Borders. I, I always mix them up. It was on Route mm. 17 in Bergen County, New Jersey. That'll never forget. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I picked up The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle and, mm-hmm. you know, got home. I think by like page five, like something just clicked and in me and yeah, I was never the same person. It's pretty wild. It was like something woke up in me that was slumbering for a long time that I was looking, I think on some level I was looking for. Um, and then I started meditating very deeply hours on, a, on end and reading as many books as I could find on personal growth and spirituality. And, you know, at the time there were no, there was no YouTube or podcasts. There was, the internet was oh, existed, but it was still kind of like dial up, you know, uh, 
it was the year 2000. So maybe it was a little past dial up, but it was still early stages. There wasn't that much going on. You couldn't find as much good material as you can now. It's all over the place. I mean, you can go on YouTube and listen to a thousand hours of Eckhart Tolle, right? Um, you just absorb it all. So I, there were no teachers around. There was nowhere to go. So I spent the first years just kind of solo trying to figure it out. Um, Eventually, I went to a meditation class in college. It was a Zen mm-hmm. class that I really enjoyed. And I just, I really wanted to, I had this thirst to go live in the Himalayas and live in an ashram. And I used to go on the internet and look at like websites for ashrams and salivate. <laughs> what, a, what a normal 17, 18 year old does. Uh, <laughs> All 16, 17, 18 year olds do yeah, that, right? Yeah, that's what they do. Yeah, I want to shave my head and live in an ashram and never have sex again. Um, <laughs> That part I wasn't down with, but so maybe it could be a tantric ashram. Um, so that'd, be, that'd be a good one. There must be one of those. So uh, eventually I made my way. You know, I mean, first I lived in Spain for a year after college. I taught English and I was a party tour guide. So I ran bar crawls through in Barcelona. Which I'm sure nights. every citizen of Barcelona loved you for, right? Having all those little loud and noisy people running around from bar oh, to yeah. bar, getting drunk. <laughs> they would throw water on us from their balconies. <laughs> yeah. So anybody, they really would. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I was just thinking for anybody who's never been to Spain or who is not in Spain now, uh, that's a, a real thing. Like they actually do that. It's fun. Oh yeah, they do do that. And, you know, we would walk through like Elborn and kind of the, you know, and Barceloneta down by the beach, all that, those districts. If you've ever been to Barcelona, it's really beautiful down there. So it was amazing. The streets are like a thousand years old. It's a special place. And we were just getting hammered like 22-year-old morons that we were. And I, I was the ringleader. And, you know, I never really drank or did drugs after that. I was kind of, I, I took it pretty far. And then I was like, all right, I'm done. And then I went to the Himalayas. So I got that out, I think <laughs> you it's important out of your to, system. Yes. I right. think it's important to get it out of your system. Um, I was chasing girls, getting hammered. I feel like I flushed some of that out of my system. And then I mm. went to the Himalayas and sat for a while, met some great teachers, started studying kind of the Vedantic, Zen, Hindu, you know, all the Eastern traditions. And, um, you know, maybe started to reconcile some of it with my Western philosophical training in college. Mm. Um, and then that eventually led me to Hawaii. So I had an interesting path. Yeah, I feel very blessed that I was able to do all that. I did not have wealthy parents. Uh, Mom, Dad, why didn't you do better? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's really fucked up to say that on a podcast. Uh, my, <laughs> my, my, par- my parents are immigrants uh, from R- Russia. Well, at the time it's Belarus. Now at the time it was the mm-hmm. USSR. And, uh, so they came to America a few years before I was born. So we didn't have any money. Um, and then, you know, kind of middle-class when I graduated college, but they definitely didn't fund my travels. I had to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was lucky enough to have figured it out. Teaching English abroad was the way I was able to do it. And uh, also I was just very, I had a very high risk tolerance. So I would show up in a place without money, nowhere to stay. And I would just like let the universe unfold in front of me. And (sighs) either I'm so dumb that it worked out or I was on to something. I really don't know. I was just going to ask you what, you know, where do you think that 
risk tolerance came from? Is it something that you learned from growing up uh, with parents didn't. who were immigrants? And I mean, when you migrate to another country, you literally are, you know, you take on risks. That's the only option, you know? Yeah, but, you know, but really they're so conservative in their ways. Everything was like, you know, graduate college, get a job, make money, have a family. It was a very traditional value structure. So I definitely didn't get it from them. I have no idea where it came from. I think it was in me already. And I was, I think from meditating and reading so many books on personal growth, I just kind of started getting this ingrained sense of follow your purpose and your passion. I had no clue what I wanted to do for a living. I just knew that I had this kind of spiritual thirst in me and I needed to go figure it out. And that's what, that's what drove me. Yeah. Is that what maybe got you interested in studying philosophy? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. That's why I studied philosophy. It was the closest thing I could find. I studied some Eastern religions as well in college, but it wasn't as interesting for me in terms of like, um, like coming out the other side, I wanted a skill set and philosophy gives mm. you a great skill set of learning how to think and break mm. down arguments. And, um, also I studied politics. So I double majored. I did oh, a wow. little short stint in Washington, DC. That's always been a passion of mine. I nerd out a little bit on, <laughs> on politics. It used to be more fun when it was less fighting. It's always mm. been fighting, but it's just so bad now. Mm. I mean, I was more interested in nerding out about policy than, than personalities, you know. Mm. But uh, yeah, and then so India happened and I was able to like, that was my fantasy, like go super deep. Um, and then I went and did all the super woo stuff in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you, okay, this is like, how do you go from studying philosophy and politics, like being in Washington and working in that for a while to suddenly going to like woo woo <laughs> and you know, how, what was that bridge? What was that transition like for you? I always had the woo woo in me. I knew I was going to do that. I think it was just like, you know, when you're young, you're trying to placate your parents and want to follow a path that society will validate. And uh, I think as I grew up a little bit, had a little bit more certainty, I was like, fuck that. I'm going to go do what mm. I want. So mm. it was, um, I think it was always on the horizon for me. And I'm glad I didn't get like pulled in by some like defense contractor or some, <laughs> some NGO that is going to suck the life out of me, before, you know, when it wasn't my time yet mm. to give, to give in that way. You know, I think there's a time where we build our energy up enough where we can start giving. Mm. And I was not there yet. I had to first figure myself out, receive, and then, uh, and then figure out what I wanted to give. So I think a lot of people, they go into activism out of, uh, there's some emptiness in them or a need for validation. And, um, you know, you don't want to do it that way. Cause then it becomes about you. Um, mm. so there was, there was some of that. I had some of that. I wanted the world's validation, but luckily I didn't get stuck in that, in that cul-de-sac. <laughs> You were talking about figuring yourself out, um, which I think is a really good way of explaining it. Uh, what do you mean when you say figuring myself out? I guess you're talking about like your teenage years when, you know, we typically are trying to figure out what this is all about, who we are. And well, I, 
it's I think there's a there's kind of parallel tracks. One is just natural kind of evolution, right? Like our brain is still getting wired. I don't think we're adults until we're in our thirties. Some a friend of mine told me he doesn't think it happens till you're in your forties. I was like, damn, wow, your forties. Okay. Uh and, and so there's that happening naturally. It's like um a maturity that we go through different different levels of puberty. <laughs> and yep. and then and then the psychological thing spiritual thing is happening right so we're those as we're growing those thoughts and energies are bubbling to the surface and we go who am i what am i about what do i want to do in this world how do i want to show up and give and who do i want to become Mm. all of that is very natural but most of us aren't taught how to deal with that and how to make good decisions how to intuitively feel what the right path is for us and so we find the safe path or the one that someone just kind of puts in front of us rather than what's really true for us. So I think there's kind of a, an, a call to adventure as Joseph Campbell would say, and mm. not everyone takes it. Some mm. people, they look at it and go, well, that looks dangerous. So I will go to the ins- work at the insurance company or whatever. Right. Uh, and I have no idea. Like I said earlier, I just had a high risk tolerance and mm. did my own thing. So like when I arrived in Hawaii, from India, I had no money and uh, I had no place to stay. I hitchhiked out of the airport, big Hawaiian wow. guy. Yeah, big Hawaiian guy picked me up in his broken Toyota Corolla. It looked like a 1993 Corolla that I drove in high school. And he uh, had his son in the back seat and he was drinking a Corona. And uh, he was just like, where are you? Where you go, brother? And I was like, I don't know, brother. And he goes, All right, I take you, brother. And I was like, Wow, this is cool. And you know, it's all volcanic rock on the Big Island when you land, so it was trippy. I was like, Am I on the moon? What the fuck is this? <laughs> and uh, he dropped me off at a hostel, and man, I made my way. Somehow, I made my way. If you could go back to that moment when you're getting off the plane in Hawaii, literally, you don't even have money to get transportation from the airport you have nowhere to go what would you say to yourself um well i think i did it right looking back so i would say don't be so worried because i was you know i was doing it but i was still nervous Mm. it's like yeah just relax and let the current here take you because it did it did all work out really nicely and i think one of the reasons it worked out is uh, because at the time I was very personable and I really enjoyed other human beings and making connections. And so I think it was those relationships that I built in Hawaii. The com- it's very much a community-based culture. Oh. And so I built some really strong relationships and those carried me. Um, people offered me jobs and places to live and opportunities that, you know, if I was too closed and too, too into myself, they never would have arose. So mm. um I'm glad that whatever the way I'm wired, I'm a little bit more social uh, and that that was really helpful. So that would, the advice I would have given myself was like, just, you know, relax, don't be anxious mm. about it. You're, you're going to be fine. Yeah. A lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of, let's say personal growth work or spiritual growth work. Uh, they talk about, you know, connecting with your higher self, you know, and, and, you know, it's actually your higher self who's, 
pulling you or you know so my higher self right now is pulling me into this conversation yeah. more than yeah. like little me here deciding oh what am i going to say next what am i going to do i'm just kind of listening hopefully <laughs> to my higher self uh, who's saying well ask this question go here go there um yeah. and it's kind of what i hear you saying is that you know you probably could just say you're on the right path just trust trust yourself trust your instinct trust what you be- what you know not what you believe trust what you know is true you know, I think that there's a time in our lives and there are moments where we, that's what we have to do. And then there's actually times where that's not enough and we actually have to start to step into a new level of action. So although that all worked out for me, there were some bumps in the road where I should have stood up for myself more, had better boundaries, been more assertive, mm-hmm. taken more action instead of just waiting for something to be handed to me. So I think it's like an ebb and flow of like, is it the moment to just go with life and receive? Do I need to really put in some effort and take action? Um, So I don't want to say it's always one way. It's like surfing, right? Like there's a moment you're paddling super hard against the waves. Mm. And then there's a moment where you just got to catch one and let go. And not that I'm a surfer, anyone who knows me from Hawaii, be like, you never, you hated surfing. I was, I didn't hate it. I was just like a little afraid. I grew up on the East coast playing ice hockey. And so I never fully took to it. (laughs) Also when I was 20, whatever, you know, early twenties, I was a moron half the time. You know, it's like, it was easy at that age to, to make those decisions. Yeah. You don't know what you're doing. And um, so by no means was I like this super wise being of like, ah, oh, I haven't figured out it's all going to work out. No, I was bouncing around like anybody else trying to, trying to figure, you know, spiritual puberty, let's call it. Yeah. Shut up, David Vandelman. <laughs> I wrote down the term spiritual puberty here because I wanted to use that and ask you. So. <laughs> oh, I, I stole it from you with my third eye. Well, it, actually it's perfect. So Let's talk about spiritual puberty. What was it like for you uh, at that stage of spiritual puberty? Yeah, like I said, I was stumbling around. I think you you can have a spiritual awakening, right? Mm. You may have some big realizations about life, about who you are, about the universe, whatever it is. Mm. But that doesn't make you a mature person. Mm. Uh, There's a difference between waking up and growing up. And Mm. so you still have to grow up after you have some kind of awakenings, right? And that integration and that becoming an adult, you can't bypass biology, you Mm. know, like my brain is still developing and my life is still unfolding. So um, that, that part was more painful and, Mm. uh, and frustrating and difficult. It's like, ah, it's hard to make money or. I don't know what I want to do with my life. You know, how do you get a partner? All these adulting, all these adulting things that are so I'm an energy consuming. I just want to sit in a cave and meditate. Uh, I I want to ask you about uh, the difference between waking up and growing up. And I love the, I love that you talk about adulting because that's something that um, I think we, well, we'll get to that. So, could you discuss maybe for you what's the difference between waking up and growing up? Yeah, but before I do, I just want to say something that I just noticed. If you're watching this on video, I look, me and Brian, David George look alike. I look like Brian with hair. I was going to say, well, one of us is obviously more handsome than the other. We don't need to say who it is. It's, I think we it's look obvious. pretty identical. <laughs> I, I, think, I think we look like brothers and you just have a shaved head. Uh, 
Yeah, that's it. I shave. That's exactly right. I shave my head. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I I used to always shave my head when I lived in Hawaii and India. So I looked identical to you and lived in Spain. We probably walked by each other one time like, huh, that dude looks like me. Who do you you think you are? That's my look. (laughs) That's my look. I I had it first. Damn it. (laughs) I I actually think I think I really did have it first. No, maybe not. Maybe you had it first. I don't know. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, Yeah. So so the question about the difference between waking up and growing up? Spiritually, because I think, you know, yeah. that's interesting for people. I, f- I feel like we have been through, we're going through um, like a pretty large scale spiritual awakening right now, probably because of the pandemic and everything. There's just been a lot more people um, spending time with themselves going inside and like waking up, you know, when you were talking about earlier about meditation, 16 year old you reading that book and something inside you woke up, you know, um, I feel like that's been waking up in a lot more people recently. So. Yeah. Yeah. Most likely. And then there's a lot who you're you're like, God, what are you fucking made of stone? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) So sorry. We were talking about the difference between spiritually waking up and growing up. Even the stones can wake up. Even some of That's right. I think Hegel mentions that even the stones are, uh, evolving in some way. So, well, you know, there's a lot of flavors to waking up. Maybe what I mean by that in my own experience and kind of traditionally speaking, spiritually speaking is, uh, there's a moment maybe in meditation or just however it comes about where you recognize, um, you're not just the thoughts in your head that like, there's this awareness, um, that you're more than just the passing thoughts in your head. And, um, there's something about that awareness that just like the light turns on it in, in a new way. Um, and maybe those thoughts don't stick as much. You don't identify with them as much. Whereas somebody might come to you and be like, Oh my God, you know what happened today? And their entire identity in life is the story that is weaved around their awareness and they don't, they're not aware that they are the awareness. So, uh, a spiritual, a spiritual awakening often happens on some level when we realize we are this awareness kind of beyond our history and our thoughts. It's a very traditional kind of definition of awakening. Um, but like I said, that doesn't mean we've grown up. Now we have to take that awareness and then reintegrate it back into those thoughts and into that life in a conscious, mindful, you know, intentional way. And that is way trickier, (laughs) especially, you know, relationships trigger us, money triggers us, Mm. uh, you know, death triggers us, um, all of these things. So now it's not just, I am awareness. Now it's like, how do I bring awareness into all of these areas and not lose myself and, um, create something of value. So that that's where the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. I think that's where uh, a lot of us in the spiritual world, if you're working in it, teaching in it, studying in it, that's probably a lot of the work that you're doing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Spiritual adulting. <laughs> we had spiritual puberty and then so you grow up and you start spiritually adulting, which is yeah. a completely different flavor of adulting. It's a yeah. yeah. Well, what are the goals, right? Is adulting, are the goals just to like fill the bank account, live as long as you can, maybe extend your life a few years and get people to like you? 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> or is there some deeper meaning mm. that you're on this planet for? And are you fulfilling mm. that in, in an intentional way? So um, how are you yeah, seeing yourself in the world and how are you showing up with your awareness? Almost every word that you said in that last sentence made my, it gave me goosebumps <laughs> because it, you know, you can intention. I think this is, so we have the power to intentionally bring who we are into the world and to fulfill our purpose. And I think that's something that um, unfortunately many people don't realize until they're on their deathbed. That's my, yeah. I, I'd love to hear you speak about that theory that I just threw out there. I mean, what happens to people who don't wake up in this lifetime, in your opinion? Um, I don't know. I don't know what happens, but uh, uh, what I would like for it to happen is they try again. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But I, I don't honestly, I can't say with certainty that I mm. know. But yeah, I think at the end of life, if you haven't, you know, dealt with your demons or, or, really looked at yourself deeply there's a chance that at at the very end you might that there's so much pressure that's built you have to kind of surrender mm. or not or you st you stick to it you stay stubborn all the way through death the people their egos are so strong mm. you know their ego structure is so strong that even in death uh they hold on to it um and don't release it till after death so that's that's possible as well Mm. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, don't wait till death. Don't wait. Do it now. Just let go now. <laughs> Surrender to who or, you really are. Yeah. Or somebody else's death, right? A lot of times we'll have a, an awakening because uh, some mm. tragedy or loss that's just unbearable and we can't hold on to that egoic structure anymore. And so it starts to break apart what we thought was true, what we thought life was about. Um, all of a sudden we lose hope or we get despondent and so we, we can hit a bottom and that may mm. actually, that may crack us open. So usually life, if nothing else else works, it'll try to awaken you through some kind of suffering. It's it, that's actually, I'm so glad that you said that because I was thinking how everyone that I know who's had some sort of a spiritual awakening, it's been through suffering um, in, in my own case as well. Um, and so I'm, that's why I think it's even more, interesting that you were the 16 year old who just grabbed a book and started reading and boom it you know something in that book spoke to you lucky you <laughs> not to not to say suffering didn't follow but it wasn't the impetus for yeah. that initial shift yeah. yeah that's that is true um but i've i've experienced plenty of human suffering just like anybody else nobody gets on and off this planet without getting dragged through the mud we all just have different themes yeah. Could be loss, could be heartbreak, could be mm. financial, could be physical health, mm. right? Um, it could be persecution. Mm. You know, there's all sorts of, <laughs> there's very many ways we can hurt each other. There's no shortage of that on this planet. Yeah, on this planet, we have figured out quite a few ways to <laughs> induce pain on one another and on ourselves. <laughs> David's raising a, his hand. There should be a sign when you get to Earth, welcome to Earth, enjoy hurting each other. <laughs> <laughs> man that really it's fucked uh, up i know it is. what kind of <laughs> what kind of podcast is this this is about like growing and it's inspiration are we who are we inspiring here who are we encouraging to grow it's like it's over life is terrible just forget about everything 
go to a cave, meditate. (laughs) Unplug from your responsibilities and just just go to a cave so no one could ever hurt you again. The end. (laughs) You know, uh, it's funny that when I was, uh, so back in 2000 and it doesn't matter, I was 33. I'm 46 now. When I was 33, um, I had like a very serious spiritual awakening. And I remember back then, like after the initial going out, getting over the heartbreak and the pain and the suffering, you know, I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to become a Buddhist monk. Cause I kind of got into meditation and yoga. I'm going to become a Buddhist monk. And that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. You know, I was like, I can't deal with this pain anymore of being yeah. a human. And then here I am. <laughs> so that's a, not a uncommon response. Uh, actually. Yeah. So I'm glad you came out the other side. Mm. Just yeah. the other day or recently I was talking to uh, a spiritual buddy about, you know, I still feel that temptation to just be like, I'm going to go become a, a monk. And he was like, you know, your heart is too beautiful um, to not share it with the world. You, you keep doing what you're doing, buddy. You know, that's where, right. that's where, that's where the universe is, is asking you to be. So just answer the call, surrender. And I would just add to that, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking a retreat every year for whatever amount of time is appropriate to you. Some people, it could be months, right? Mm. Uh, where you take a couple of months and you go off and do your thing and recharge. Um, mm. So maybe it's more of finding a balance. I hope the future of humanity is something along those lines where yeah. we, we all do that. We all retreat every year for a time and go inward um, rather than just for a couple of days. But, you know, maybe we need more than that. You know, um, yeah. speaking of other authors, since you're an author, I'm going to say other authors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yuval Noah Harari, the author of Sapiens and Homo Deus and 21 Lessons of the 21st Century. He's, he plans his year. I heard him on a podcast. He plans his years around his meditation retreats. Awesome. Like he, he plans, sense. he first like to plan the year ahead. He first says, okay, so for this month, I'm going to go on my meditation retreat. And then everything else falls into place after that. I love that. That's awesome. So that is a very cool way of yeah. planning life. I, I need to do that as well. Thanks for that idea. I like <laughs> it. I think we all kind of do it the other way. Where can I squeeze a weekend? And who can I blame for not having enough time? <laughs> Anybody but myself. Well, I'm not blaming, but you know, That's I, right. I can figure this out. That's kind of where we get stuck is thinking that we can't figure it out. And we really can figure it out. We have all of the knowledge that we need in order to figure it out. Yeah, there's a book by Marie Forleo called uh, Everything's Figureoutable. I like that. <laughs> I like that theme. Whenever you think you can't. And you know, if you need help, that's there's plenty of help, right? There's lots of teachers, coaches, guides, healers. I mean, there's endless content out there. So I think it's more of a matter of motivation and focus. And, being clear on what it is that you want to have and create and, and being unapologetic and going for it. So speaking of that, how, uh, what was it like for you to have the clarity to go for what you're doing now to figure out, you know, cause you, you talked about a book that's coming out. You talked about, uh, your meditation school app. Um, you're putting together courses. What was it like for you? What was your process? What was your journey of, Oh, so I'm going to be a spiritual teacher and I'm going to be an author and I'm going to be an entrepreneur. What was that like for you? Yeah. So I did not have that clarity. I just, want to, 
preface all of that. I thought you had yeah. it all figured out, David. <laughs> yeah. Nah, probably yeah. not in this lifetime. But uh, I, uh, the clarity I had was my purpose and interest in spiritual growth and um, personal development. That clarity I always had, how it was going to unfold as a career, I had no idea. But I just kind of kept intuitively pulling on that string over time. And um, so I was running an, an intuitive school in Hawaii. It was a nonprofit. I was always poor. I had a job on the side doing some marketing just to pay those expensive Hawaii bills. You know, it's like $9 for a freaking mango. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, and then I started reading some business books like the Tim Ferriss type, you know, four hour work week books and started thinking there's got to be a way where I could do teaching this, you know, do what I love and uh, make a living and be able to travel and be free and all the things I wanted to create. And so I, I realized I, I went through this one very long arc. Let's say it was 10 or 10 years long or 12 years long of spiritual growth and training and then teaching. And then I realized I needed to go through another arc, which was uh, learning the business side of everything so I could work for myself and create and share. And that arc also took years and it took a lot of training. And there's this saying, you, uh, you want to take two good ideas and have them have idea sex and birth an idea baby, right? Usually the things happen when we synthesize a few, a few areas of life and, and then something new is born. I mean, literally to birth a child, you take a man and woman, you synthesize their energies, their biologies, and then something new is born. And I think the same could be said for a lot of things we create. And so for me, it was learning spirituality and then learning entrepreneurship. And then I, I brought them together. So I was able to share my message. And uh, I, you know, I'm not particularly talented, but I uh, when I go at something, I put full force and attention into it and I'll, I won't stop and I'll be cool with being poor for a while. And I'll just hammer at it until I get it. Um, so that's, that's what I did. I taught myself. I hired some coaches eventually when I could afford it to help me more. And that really, that, that was very helpful. And, um, then I started building content online. I connected with the app insight timer and I would say luck, you know, when preparation meets opportunity, I, it was, mm. there was timing there. There was a lot of preparation on my part and there was opportunity. And so for whatever reason, uh, that app it worked out for me and kind of built my student base and I was able to reach a lot of people. And then I kind of built on top of that. Mm. And I, I follow my creative passions. I love podcasting. I love making courses. I love, um, collaborating and building businesses it's fun for me it's like figuring out a puzzle hmm. um you know some guys like to work on cars or gals like to work on cars i i'm like no let's figure this business thing out i like <laughs> i like doing that i like help i like helping other people do it too i find it fascinating to talk to somebody who has a passion for something and then help them hmm. find a way to turn that passion um into their livelihood into their life's work you were, before we started recording, you were talking about, uh, something specifically like that, about a course, uh, for building a spiritual business. Um, and it sounds like it's just been a, an organic evolution of what your passion is. Could you talk about that a bit? 
Yeah. So uh, me and a friend of mine, Matt, uh, who spent years working at uh, Sounds True Publishing and helping create courses for, you know, so many amazing teachers like Eckhart Tolle, Brene Brown, and Wim Hof. I mean, the list is endless. Um, him and some other really amazing people were going to get together and teach a, a program on how to develop your spiritual business and yeah, how to take some really big steps with it. I think a lot of teachers, a lot of healers, coaches, they really get stuck on the tech side, on the technical side, and how do I build this thing? How do I sustain it? And they don't have all the tools that they need. So we want to help help them with all of those tools. And then also, are you really built for it, right? So someone comes to me and says, I'm a spiritual teacher, David, I want to do what you do. And then my first question is, oh, that's, that's fine that you're a spiritual, spiritual teacher. Are you an entrepreneur? Hmm. And they're like, what's, well, what does that mean? I want to work for myself and make lots of money. I'm like, no, no, (laughs) (laughs) let me give you a definition of an entrepreneur from Elon Musk. He said, and he took it from someone else, but he said, it's uh, being an entrepreneur is like staring into an infinite abyss of darkness and chewing on broken glass. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. So yeah, that's what being an entrepreneur is like. I mean, now I'm responsible for like, 15 people that I pay, right. That, Mm. uh, I have to constantly give direction to and collaborate with and make sure that the, you know, courses and everything is, everything is moving and flowing and revenue is coming in so they can continue to have jobs Mm. all this. And then, and that my students can continue to get the content and help that they need every day. It becomes bigger than you. And so I had a friend call me once and say, Hey, I want to do a coaching program. And my first question wasn't what kind it was why. And she said, cause I want to make a lot of money so I can surf on the beach and just live on the beach and surf. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck off. <laughs> cause, uh, those aren't the, those, that's fine. That could be part of it. Sure. But what about all the people that are going to work for you? What about all of your clients, students? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the bigger vision here? What's the energy you're trying to bring into the world? And are you ready to do 10 times the work that you think it's going to be? Because it's going to be 10 times the work. Whatever amount of work you think it is, it's going to be 10 times that much work <laughs> or 100 times. And the arc is going to be longer than you think. So if you think it's going to take you six months, it'll probably take you 18 months or three years. Mm. And are you ready to weather that storm and put that mm. kind of commitment in? And when you give it to people that way, most of them, they say they are, but they're not. Mm. They're just not ready for that level of commitment. And so there are other avenues. So if you're not ready to be an entrepreneur, then you find other ways. Maybe there are apps that already, already exist, like Insight Timer, and you hop mm. on and you just do it there. Or, or your yoga teacher, you jump on Yoga Glow and it's their platform, you just teach. Mm. So that's not to say you can't be a teacher and be successful. Um, my friend, Sarah Blondin, you know, she pops onto Insight Timer. That's all she has to do. And she's wildly successful and impacts mm. millions of people. And she mm. doesn't have to jump through all the hoops that I do as an entrepreneur every day. She doesn't need to. She's, a, she's just, that's what she does. She's a unicorn in my eyes. Mm. One out of every, however many people, they just 
you know, they, they just land uh, very mm. easily because they're so talented and have such a great energy. Mm. I, uh, unfortunately, to <laughs> <laughs> uh, have taken the more arduous path and, um, but I, I like the creativity mm. of it and I love the challenge. So mm. yeah, just cause you're a coach or a spiritual teacher does not mean you're an entrepreneur. Those are two very different things. Mm. And, uh, you have to really have a gut check to see if, if you are both and if you're ready to take that step and, and accept the, the responsibility and the work that comes with it. And are you really going to show up every day for, uh, let's say a minimum of uh, three years before it pops um, and do the work. Mm. You just lost 90% of the listeners. Well, it's good. It was really <laughs> it was great good to be here, to Brian, David, yep. George. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. Until uh, next time, when I give you the three easy steps to become rich in five minutes. <laughs> It's funny because uh, when you were just talking about that, you know, it doesn't feel like work when it's aligned with purpose. So even if it is like so much more effort than you want to sign up for, and then we want to sign up for, I think when it's really uh, the expression of who you are in the world, like if you are creating something that is you (laughs) uh, and that is helping, you know, like you said, helping millions of people, then it's not work at all. Let me add a caveat to that. All right. The part where you're teaching or coaching may not feel like work because that's the purpose. But like mm. when you have to fire your bookkeeper yeah, or, or you have to ask for a loan from the bank or uh, you have to hire a new developer or somebody messed up some finances pretty bad and you owe a refunds, that mm. can feel like work. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So just a few weeks ago, I taught a class called uh, something like Mastering Your Intuitive Abilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had also just launched next year's Montana retreat. We're going back to the same, mm-hmm. same place that we did this summer that I met you at. Really awesome mm-hmm. retreat center. Yes. And my, my web person uh, messed up when she created the payment side of the retreat. And it's thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. And it charged people triple. Oh, and so, wow. and so I have not checked the back end of that stuff probably in like a year or mm. two. I should, but mm. I just trust everyone that works for me. And I taught this intuitive development class, no joke, right after the class, I just had this intuitive, like, I want to check the finances in the back end of <laughs> we use a Stripe, which is a payment system. Mm. And so I go in there, I lock, find the login, I log in, I start going line by line. And I'm like, those charges look too big. (laughs) And they had just happened that day. Uh, So I caught them immediately, maybe before some of them fully went through. And I Mm. called my person and she immediately reconciled it, emailed them, apologizing, refunded. Mm. Um, You know, I was so tuned into my business at that moment that like a red flag on a psychic level or whatever Mm -hmm. in the ethers went off. And I I went in and I found it. Um, so when you get deep into your work, sometimes here almost like is running through your veins. It could be too much. I, there are times where I have to put up a boundary with it and uh, really, really step out. Mm. Um, but I share that story because that felt like work. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's, well, it's part of it, yeah. you know, and I'm sure those very highly evolved spiritual teachers and beings would say, well, you know, everything is spiritual. So even 
<laughs> I I know a lot of spiritual teachers who uh, they just don't deal and they mm. outsource everything and they just show up and teach and they're done. Right. Mm. Uh, or others, their business is falling apart because mm. they don't want to deal and they should be dealing. It's just, but they think they're so spiritual that that's beneath them to care. Um, so I'm neither that cool or that enlightened, <laughs> whatever, you know, uh, I'm more of a grinder. I show up every day. I do the work. I care deeply about the people that work for me and making sure that they're as successful as possible and that they feel like they have purpose too. It can't just be about me and my purpose. And then they all just work for me. No, it's what about them, their family, their life purpose, their path. Um, I recently gave a percentage of my business to my assistant because she's like the backbone of everything that I do. I wanted to make her feel like she was really on this journey with me. Um, and so uh, we have to make sure our, our circle is wide and integrated in a way that fulfills everybody. Otherwise we become an Island and mm. you know, that's, that's not fulfilling for me. Something anyway. That, something that you said earlier, it becomes bigger than you. I think that's key. That's right. All of this. It's, it's no longer about David and his podcast or David and his retreats. It's all of the different, like the ripple effects of all of that, that you're putting out into the world. There's a time where it feels like it's just about you. And it's, I've went through that and it's very understandable because you're in survival and you're like, ah, oh, crap, I need money to make it to tomorrow. And so you don't have like the mental, emotional bandwidth to like care about everyone else. You're like, oh, I just need to get through this today. And so we feel squeezed. Uh, but it's counterintuitive. But once you make it about everybody else, then that usually the squeeze lets up and revenue rolls in or opportunities arise. So you have to shift out of that survival mode and sometimes take some risks, you know, mm -hmm. maybe you're not really investing in it or in yourself the way you should be. If you know, when I create content or build a new course, or uh, when I was building this podcast studio, for example, one of the questions I always ask myself, if this was to reach the widest audience possible if I was to try to reach the most amount of people let's say that's in the millions just as an example how would I treat this moment how would I show up how would I invest in this how would I record what how would I write um, versus like there's this narrow thing I'm like writing to make sure somebody in my family thinks I'm okay or you know versus like if I'm touching all of these lives how would I show up and then creating from from that place. So every time I create content, that's how I I approach it. What if a million people listen to this tomorrow? Would I have given it my best? That's actually one of the most useful questions I think that you asked me on the retreat, um, and it was some version of that. Is mm -hmm. um, as you're imagining whatever it is you're building, imagine it for millions of you know. If it's going to be something that will reach millions of people, imagine how you want those millions of people to receive it. Yeah, exactly. And not that re reaching millions of people is the goal or the best. That it's not, yeah. it could be 10 people. It could be mm. one. It could be a thousand. We all, we all have an area of life and certain people mm. that are, our soul is meant to reach. More is not better. Um, mm. So I don't want to make it sound like more is better. It's just for me, for whatever reason, it, more recently, I've been um, pulled and have felt to reach wider, larger mm. groups of people. 
Um, that wasn't always the case. I used to teach a very niche spiritual thing to very small groups. And these days I really enjoy mm. reaching a lot of people. Um, yeah, but I, that I, doesn't have to be the case. It's funny because I kind of see that. I think I started listening to your meditations maybe four years ago or so. And I remember like what I guess your niche was at the time or what I perceived it to be uh, kind of more on the mm, energetic or intuitive yeah. side yeah. of things. And now it seems much more open to an audience that, you know, some of the people that I know that like meditation would not have been into that side of things at all and they were like god you're kind of uh <laughs> what's a good word woo-woo. you're a little too woo you're a little too uh open to those things than i am and now i see that you you know have a much broader student base and i think that's probably just you following your intuition i'm going to delete anything i created on the internet more than six <laughs> months ago are you serious <laughs> you're kidding are you i'm, ki- I'm kidding <laughs> but I mean, I listen to some of my old stuff. I'm like, oh, you know, sometimes I cringe a little bit or the audio quality is bad, you know, yeah. or when I got started, I had a crappy mic. And this is a, a good lesson, I think, for all of us. I rem- I did the opposite of what if I reached a million people? I All I thought about was how cheaply can I pull this off? Because I have no money. And I bought a crappy mic and I was in, a, <laughs> I was in the wrong room. There was a road by the window. And it, I wasted hundreds, if not thousands of hours recording Mm. and editing crappy stuff. And we spend money on all sorts of stuff Mm. in life. We go to Whole Foods excessively and out to dinner and on vacations and all, you know, buy clothes. Mm. And uh, gosh, look, that, that is a moment I would have gone back in time and said, dude, buy a good microphone, get into a sound studio, do it right. So you don't have mm. to do it over. And, um, I was just in so much lack at the beginning mm. of that process and let people around me influence my judgment that I wasn't ready or I wasn't worth enough to do it at a professional level. Tell us about this book that you're yeah, it's called the seven energies of the soul. And, uh, just a very brief description. I took the most common questions my students asked me about for years, relationships, career, creativity, being a teacher, a healer, a guide, um, being an artist, all of those things. And I kind of turned them upside down from problems into energies that we're all here to manifest in the world. So we have the light of our awareness. It passes through the prism of our physical bodies. And then it splits out into these seven main areas of creation. And so uh, very briefly, they are the creator, the healer, the warrior, the lover, the artist, the explorer, and the master. And the way I come at it in the book is each energy could be in excess or deficiency or balance. So if you're an excessive creator, maybe you're workaholic. If you're a uh, deficient healer, maybe you're, you're closed to feeling other people and you're not empathetic. Uh, if you're an excessive artist, maybe you're ungrounded. You just paint all day, but you could care less about money and you know, you're, you're not taking care of business. And then we, I think to be, live very happy, balanced, purpose-driven lives, we need all seven of these areas to be in balance. Um, and they all need to feel fulfilled. You can't just work. You can't just take care of your family. You can't just live in your art. 
every part of our lives needs attention and care. And I think that's how we truly find happiness to me is uh, a byproduct of balance. Hmm. It's a byproduct of balance. And the seven energies are just a structure that I give to find that balance. They're not the right way. I think you can cut a pie into two pieces or into 2000 pieces. Hmm. So there's no right way. This is just a structure that I like that I use with my students. And um, so in the book, there are exercises and meditations to balance each one. And with it, um, I'm giving away a free 21 day uh, meditation audio series. So you can listen and go through each piece yourself. Um, so that's the book. That's what it is, Brian David George. We're kind of rolling around to the end. So I want to ask you one, one more question before I ask you for the final challenge. Um, and that question is kind of, it's about your evolution um, as a teacher, as a spiritual teacher. Um, what, what, is, what is David Gandelman's personal brand? <laughs> My brand? What is it that you bring into the world, I guess, is the question. Short, Jewish, goofy... <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, sorry. That's my dating profile. That's your dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> but how how do how do I show up in the world? Like my energy, you mean? Yeah. Um, I think I always look at it from what do I value, and for me, uh, a very heart centered, open, kind mm. approach is what I value. Um, Honestly, I've gone through so many of these kind of spiritual circles and, and groups from the Eastern to the Western and the woo-woo and beyond. And I no longer give a shit about that. <laughs> I don't care what you're into. I don't care if it's Kabbalah or Christian mysticism or psychic stuff or Zen. I don't care. I don't care how many volumes of knowledge you have in your head. Really, when I meet a person... I'm looking for, is there like a frequency of kindness to them, open-heartedness, mm. compassion, love, authenticity, joy? Are they really being true to themselves? Uh, you know, what kind of conceptual beliefs you hold on to have so little meaning to me? Um, so I try to do that myself as well. Um, Earlier in life, conversations would always turn veer into the spiritual and I would start lecturing or sharing my opinions. And you'd be very hard pressed to catch me doing that anymore, ever. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd rather have a very human conversation with somebody and find out what they're about, what they're doing. Um, and the proof is always in the pudding. I don't care if mm -hmm. you have 10, 10 PhDs in Eastern religions, you can still be a douchebag. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I've definitely learned that the hard way. I'm much more interested in if somebody's kind. Yeah. Um, I remember if I had to remember one thing from uh, the retreat this summer, it would be the the idea that life is both a mystery and a celebration. Yeah. And and it sounds you know, as I'm hearing you talk about you, you you're not interested in that kind of you know it's whatever this thing is this you know whatever we're in it is a mystery nobody has all of the answers and just you know it doesn't matter whether you follow one tradition or another whether you're spiritual it's a mystery okay can we just accept that yeah part of the fabric celebrate? of yeah exactly and part of the fabric of reality may be 
I don't know, but it may be that it's unsolvable. That mm. may be built into the system that it's like an endless mm. kaleidoscope or that every time you solve something, something else emerges. Yes. It may be so beyond and so paradoxical, just so beyond the human mind's ability to conceive. I, I don't know. I, I, but the fact that I don't know is part of the mystery. And instead of letting the mystery make you anxious, maybe you learn how to ride that wave and enjoy the mystery as part of life's gift to you. Because if mm. you knew everything, you'd probably want to eventually you'd be done suicide. with this journey. Exactly. Yeah, like, this is so boring. I know everything. I can't take it. It's a prison. So maybe the great gift of life is that it could never be exhausted. And uh, maybe it's infinite in so many directions. And, and that, I think that is something incredible to celebrate. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk oh. about celebrating it. Yeah. Um, that, that's kind of where I want um, to wrap up today, our conversation. That's how I normally, I ask guests to uh, challenge anyone who's listening um, to do something, uh, let's say to to lead a more inspired life. Um, let's say, if you could challenge people listening to do one thing to celebrate life a little bit more, what would it be? It could be anything you want. Uh, I mean, that's a good question. I think it'll be specific to everybody based on you know their interests. But just at a basic level, like, are you actually celebrating? And I think part of celebrating is gratitude. So um, mm. are, you, are you grateful when you step out of your house in the morning? You know, are you grateful when you interact with other human beings? Or are you just rolling through life in worry and anxiety? So I think the, uh, like the fertilizer for celebration is gratitude. So that's, mm. that needs to be like a foundation. And then on top of that, now you want to experience this amazing life. And maybe the purpose really is just to celebrate it. Mm. We could be wrong. We could be trying to figure out an unsolvable mystery instead of enjoying it. Mm. Um, and that, that shift in perspective, you could apply that to your family, your friends, your career. You can celebrate in any corner of your life. Um, how that shows up for you, I don't know. Everybody's different. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it's through dance, through art, you know, through travel, um, through giving. But I, I rarely meet somebody that celebrates enough. When I lived in Europe, you know, places like Spain, mm. Italy, damn, they celebrate a lot. Mm -hmm. Every, it's like there's a festival or something to celebrate all the time. Mm. And I don't think it's by accident. I think they've been around for thousands of years and they kind of figured it out. Mm. that uh, it, the, you need a certain amount of happiness in life to uh, get through it in a healthy way. And to do that, you need a, a certain amount of celebration. Mm. And in America, so our, our celebration times of the year are very stressful. Like, all right, we've got five days vacation for Christmas and two days for New Year's. We've got four, three days, four days for Thanksgiving. And I have to travel to go see these people. And it becomes a very stressful endeavor. Uh, instead of it like being built into the fabric of life where you're just celebrating so often. Mm. So um, if your celebrations are stressing you out, it's time to 
think recal- recalibrate a little. Go spend a little time in Spain if you <laughs> if you have the funds. Go hang out with Brian David George in Barcelona and do one of my old bar crawls. That's how we'll end the podcast. <laughs> I'm gonna get you hammered. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, probably not. <laughs> I won't get you. Well, I'll get. Um, I'll figure out a way to celebrate with anybody who who's looking for some celebration. That's for sure. Apple juice. We'll do apple juice. <laughs> if you can apple juice and just dance and swim exactly. and see and anything you, yeah. you want to do to celebrate. Yes. Um, you spoke of gratitude, David Gendelman. I am extremely grateful to you for this uh, moment of your wisdom and the dumbass things that you've said too. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> them all. <laughs> And I appreciate you allowing me to come on and to say them and, and uh, have fun with it. You know, if I ever become a boring old cranky spiritual teacher that uh, only says things to please people, you know, take one of those Barcelona buckets of water and put it right <laughs> over it my head. You. Yeah, please. It's definitely one of the, see, if I had to speak about why I think you connect with people, it's because you're very approachable. You take it on a very easy laid back level. Spirituality can be easy and laid back too. It can be, and you don't have to change your name and become a different person and always calm and always in control to be spiritual. I I think that um, it's probably not genuine. So Mm. be be genuine and I'm a goofy dude. So that's how it comes out. The way it comes out for you might be different, right? But Mm. I try to be honest, as as honest as I can be with that. And if I ever write a book and it, and you read it and you're like, this book looks like you didn't pull the (laughs) stick out of your ass, you know, leave that (laughs) review for me and I'll, try to do better (laughs) take out the stick (laughs) i'll take out the stick i'll sharpen one end and i'll write another book (laughs) Um, on that note (laughs) on that it's been real um (laughs) thanks david